tech, cars, machines. Subscribe here or at gtkpartners.com. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today at CES. Yeah, thank you for having me here. Right, it is. It's a, it's a great conference and a lot more crowded than prior years. I think you mentioned that was your experience as well. Yeah, yeah, it's super exciting. And uh, of course, uh, seeing all the developments uh, this year, a lot um, about AI, obviously. Yeah. yeah, exactly. How many times have you been here before? Uh, five times now. Five times. Five times. That's a lot of, uh, lot of progress. And it's become almost an auto show now. Oh, yeah. And I, I think uh, that uh, you know, more and more technology is coming into the cars just to create a much better, let's say, user experience. That's why I think especially luxury car like, like Mercedes is interested in representing themselves in such a big show. For us in trucking, it's really more about the technology uh, that, that we can find uh, because we are in the B2B business. Right, exactly. So clearly Daimler was spun off of what is now Mercedes-Benz a few years ago. And then within Daimler, you head up their autonomy activities, mm -hmm. which are called Torque, T-O-R-C. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that relationship, Torque's history, and how did things come about to be organized the way they are today? Yeah, uh, so, so Torque, Torque has a 17 years history. I think that that's almost unheard of in autonomy. And it's pretty cool. It all goes back to, to 2005 for the DARPA Urban Challenge or the DARPA Challenges, which were contests where, where teams were just competing and, and trying to, to complete a mission in autonomous mode. And uh, Torque, uh, that were Virginia Tech students, uh, they were super successful and they came in third and they were really the surprise team because uh, Virginia Tech wasn't that known for autonomy back then and it was more the team was small it was very underfunded and, and that was uh, that was really I, I think a great surprise story and uh, they won the prize money then the founder uh, Michael Fleming he decided hey what are students doing they graduate so the team would fall apart and his idea was let's found a company I mean uh, how cool is that how visionary is that and that was really the beginning of talk and the prize money was seed funding that's how it all how it all started I think he was really visionary but, but he also clearly understood what is possible with autonomy and what is not possible and if you want to have a company without external money and a big big mothership you need to make money. And so he decided to go for the early adopters, which back then was mining and military. And that's what kept the company going for many, many, many years. Yeah? A really strong company out of, out of Blacksburg, Virginia, over time. And that was, uh, let's say, uh, 2018, 19, I think he saw, hey, this technology is now ready for prime time also in bigger markets. And he saw the perfect fit in, in robot trucking. And instead of robot taxi, so he was always his big things. Yeah, military and mining, these are big things. He was a strong believer and visionary. And you need a business, a business case, so that you can always monetize the technology. And he just saw this huge opportunity in trucking. Uh, back then, I was still on the Daimler side, mm -hmm. uh, Daimler truck side, and uh, we, we were exploring the same things. We were saying, hey, autonomy, that, that, might, uh, that might address major pain points of the industry. I mean, historically, we're working a ton on fuel efficiency and zero emission. The other big pain point of the industry is driver shortage. And we just saw a huge opportunity on the Daimler truck side to, with autonomy, attack this, and, but also create a complete new business. And then Daimler trucks made a decision to buy Torque, Torque Robotics, in 2019. So it's majority owned, it's not fully owned. And that's, that's I think, something important. Torque is an independent company. Majority owned by Daimler Trucks. So it's not a cost center or a subsidiary even. It's an independent company. 
and it's also led as an independent company. I, I was on the board of Talk Robotics for almost three years, and then after 17 years, Michael Fleming, the founder, decided, hey, it's time to step down because Talk now um, is a really big company, and it's all about launching a product. You know, I'm not a founder. I couldn't have found it, but, but I have run really big engineering projects and launched products. And I think that was just a perfect, uh, perfect time to really uh, swap seats. And now I'm the CEO. Michael Fleming is still on our board, on, on the talk board, and uh, I'm, I'm in regular contact with him. But I think it was a perfect timing to really make the switch to now scale talk. So from, you know, developing a technology that you apply low, super small scale in mining, something different, really developing a product, developing a business, monetizing a business and launching at scale. A super exciting time now. Right. I can just imagine. I can just imagine. One of the things our listeners would be interested in, in remembering is that some of the best technical talent in this country works for the U.S. government. And so sometimes people are surprised. For example, why does the University of Virginia have the, one of the best mathematics departments in the country? Well, because the NSA <laughs> is, uh, is next door. And there's a lot of that, I think, in that history that I think has helped Torque as well. What, where specifically is, your, is the Torque's headquarters? Are it's still in Blacksburg. That's where Virginia Tech is, and we just stayed there with the growth. We added a, a lot of locations in the meanwhile. So, so we have a Stuttgart location because um, that's just um, to keep the connection to Daimler Trucks, but also all the tier ones. That, 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 that there's a really good uh, supply industry in Germany for sensors and, and, and computes, for example. We have an Austin office where we do a lot of um, software development. We have an Albuquerque office. Albuquerque is our test center where we test trucks on public roads. And we have Montreal. We did acquire a Canadian AI company and computer vision company, Algolux, about a year ago. That brought us a great talent and our Canadian location. So five locations in the meanwhile. Excellent. Excellent. How many total people work at Torque? Uh, we, are, we are not disclosing the number. Oh, you're not disclosing uh, it. Okay. But uh, right. it's a pretty sizable team. I think we're, we're, we were really smart not to grow too fast, too early. It's an army. Yeah. Not, not Waymo size or cruise size, but also uh, it, it's not a small company anymore. Yeah. And you need, uh, you need a lot of engineers. And not only engineers, um, also a lot of operators, controllers, marketing people, all of it to really launch a business. Exactly. Let's come back to that in a second, but uh, toward, the, toward the end of your description of Torque, you started touching a little bit on your background. Where did you sort of grow up? Where did you go to school? How did you wind up at Daimler eventually? And uh, tell us that story a little bit. I'm born in Canada. I, I never had really a, a home where I lived for, I don't know, 20 years in a row. My, my parents also traveled a lot, were, were very international. But I, I grew up in that fields home in the, in the in German area, um, a city called Heidelberg. It's a student town that still feels home, home for me. Uh, I started physics, have a PhD in physics. Heidelberg reminds me a little bit on Blacksburg. I mean, it's a student town. It had 45,000 students back then, like Virginia Tech. Back then, there were even 20,000 Americans. There was NATO headquarters, so it was a really international city, and then about, let's say, 60, 100,000 inhabitants, so small town feeling. Yeah, it's like Blacksburg plus a castle and a little bit more history. <laughs> <laughs> After finishing my PhD, I joined McKinsey. So I have, um, let's say, American education, management education in my genes. But also during my PhD, it was a very international uh, PhD. I edited in Swiss, but we collaborated uh, also with a lot of um, American and, and British universities. 
Uh, so with the, this, uh, I always enjoyed working international, working globally, and and you know I don't know all my life, and I, I kept doing this with McKinsey for seven years there, and then joined Daimler Trucks. Uh, I was with Daimler Trucks seventeen years. Tried to do um, as much as possible different things within Daimler Trucks. And I'm really glad that Daimler Trucks gave me the opportunity. It's a cool company. So I, I did manufacturing. Was running an engine plant in Detroit in Mannheim or launching the world engine of Daimler truck. That was a really, really big one. It changed the industry. And, uh, but was also then pivoting into engineering, running this program, really uh, developing engine generation number two and three. From then on, moved on to strategy and, and, and worked on zero emission strategy, China strategy, autonomous. And here, <laughs> here we are, trying to set it up for Daimler trucks. A lot of things need to come together. You need a truck, you need the technology, try to find the right partners, and then looked in the scene, and then we found a magic fit with Talk. So that's about me, and I, uh, when then this opportunity with Talk came around, for me that was also pretty clear, hey, that's, that's time to relocate to US, and it's really a dream coming true. Uh, now, now really living and working in the US. You've brought up the word international a few times, and one of the things that, I've noticed working in the, in the transportation space, and I think we've communicated to our listeners a little bit as well, is that the trucking companies are actually, their products are a lot more localized than the passenger car side. It's amazing how application specific these vehicles are. And you tend to forget it when you just look at the industry from the outside. So that internationalism is, I think, will do you well, has done you well. Uh -huh. because it's, I think it's in the nature of the trucking companies to have a lot more localization. Yeah, I mean, it's so cool that, uh, you know, you have brands like Freightliner mm -hmm. in, in trucking. They look completely different than Mercedes. But you know what's the trick behind this? Um, and Freightliner is a Mercedes brand in the U.S. Yeah, or you're Daimler the, trucks. Yeah, yeah. The US, right? you, you have this local look and feel, and it's adjusted to the local regulations and streets and so on and, 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 and sales. But a lot of technology is shared even. So there, it's the same engine, the same transmission, same ADAS systems. And, and by the way, that's also how we in Torque now design our systems. So we launch in the U.S. on a Freightliner Cascadia Class A truck, but the technology is built for global rollout across all brands uh, within Daimler, outside of Daimler. So it, it's really it's important if you develop a technology that is really modular and that you then can adjust it to the local needs of Europe, of America, you name it. Great. So as you know, having led big engineering programs. You know, people who are not used to engineering projects think that the instructions to the engineering team is, you know, create something autonomous. Whereas good engineers really need three, four pages of specifications. You know, mm -hmm. what exact application in what environments, at what cost, what form factor, you know, what, are, what can I assume in the person who's operating the piece of equipment, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. They need all of those things specified before they can give you something that, that works in the marketplace. When you think about Torque and what you're looking to do there, what are some of the key things that you work backward from, market assumptions, technology, so that you work backwards from to have a usable technology? Are, are you thinking about the geography of operation, the climate, the regulatory framework which the technology has to work in, typical price points? What are some of those things that you really need to, need to guide how you build that technology? Yeah, a little bit all of it. I think, first of all, really, you really understand what is really the business that you want to monetize. Mm -hmm. And for us, it was super, super important. Uh, we said, hey, 
no hobbies, no hobbies. We concentrate on one thing, it's Freediner, Cascadia, US class 8, full stop, nothing else. Oh, you mean because you said autonomy? No, hobbies, is that yeah, what you're saying? I mean, I in autonomy I is, the, uh, is right. the option for perfect distractions. You can do US, Europe, uh, China, class 6, 7, 8. You can do electric, you can do diesel, you can do shuttles, you can do taxis. Uh, there's always someone coming around and asking, hey, I have a great idea how to apply this technology. And it's a really, really difficult problem to solve. And so I think what was important for talk to really early on decide this is our first application that we want to solve. Yeah? Once you have developed the technology and solved it, then you can roll it out. No limits. Yeah? But I think important, so, so important that you really can, can act on no limits or start with no hobbies. And uh, we, we pretty early identified what is our sweet spot. Even within trucking, we then said, hey, it's, it's hub to hub trucking. So it's really the middle mile, the long haulage. Why? Because there the driver shortage is super pressing. A lot of drivers... It's not that there are not enough drivers necessarily, that there's a lag, but most drivers, I think 85% of the drivers in long haulage, they want to go more local. They want to see their family each day instead of being three weeks on the road. And so that's why, especially in that segment, there's a huge need for autonomy. And that's okay, that's the area we want to go in. That's where we can make money. That's the long stretches. There's a perfect fit for the technology. But then comes your point, so, so which region? We also had a discussion, hey... We decided for the Sunbelt, why? The smallest I-40 and Thaus. The, the weather conditions are a little bit favorable there. So usually you don't have snowstorms, which is helpful, or black ice. That also help to specify a little bit more what is the technology that you need to develop. Yeah? And, then, and then also look pretty much what does a typical hub like look like? Where are they located? How do the interstates look like? And then from there on backwards, you now, now know how to make money. You understand the needs of, of your customers. By this, you understand the price points that you need to hit for the truck, for the sensors, for the compute, for your software that you need to recover, but also for all the operations behind, like emission control, departure checks, and then you can define the price points where you need to develop your technology in. Because otherwise, you just have a cool technology demonstrator, not really a product. And in trucking, you know, there is no brand, there is no fancy, it's an experience, I'm willing to pay 20% more. No, it's really, it, it all comes down to cent per mile and, and really, really tough cost targets you need to hit to have a product that customers really like. Plus, plus reliability. You want, supply chains must be reliable, yeah. You need a product that, that runs 99.5% reliably all the time, yeah? and, and 80% uptime, that, that's not a product. And in, in trucking, customers are not forgiving in trucking. So that's, uh, that, uh, then it's pretty clear what you need to develop. And then combined with 17 years of history of talk, we, we could then uh, break down. And we, for us, it was pretty clear that uh, with the technology breakthroughs that we saw, we can launch in 27. And then we were work, working backwards. I see. I see exactly what you're saying. And by the way, for our international listeners, I think you mentioned the U.S. Sunbelt and I-40. That's Interstate 40, which is a major highway that runs across the southeastern United States. Did I get that right? I-40 is the southeast? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's the beauty of this country. Just imagine also I-40. It's, it's more or less going from west coast to east coast. It's almost 3,000 miles. And you can run it under one legislation. That's also one of the reasons why we went to U.S. I mean, try this in Europe. You start in Portugal. Uh, you, you end deep in Russia. 
crossing, I don't know, a lot of borders, not all of them safe, a, lot, a ton of uh, legislations. So this is, uh, this country is just, it's just enormous. It, it has such a strength also in terms of economy. There is so much freight in that area. But, but also, I think even more importantly, the Texas area going down to Mexico, a lot of things. This nearshoring are now produced in Mexico and, and, and shipped to the U.S. Much less is landed uh, in, in L.A. from China. That's why this is a really interesting area um, to start with. So it's big, it's one legislation, it's a ton of freight. Right. It is a big advantage of that, uh, the Eisenhower highway system. Uh-huh. And you know, you know why that system came about? No, tell uh, me. Because the reason it's called the Eisenhower interstate uh, highway system is during uh, World War II, he was extremely impressed with the German highway system and how good it was about transporting people and equipment around. Uh-huh. And so when he, and he came to the States, back to the States and became president, he basically said, they're better at, you know, they've got a better system than we do than our roads. I mean, it used to take like a month uh-huh. to go from the East Coast to the West Coast. And, and he actually sent a few uh, vehicles across to uh-huh. kind of test what would happen here. And it really was quite a poor experience. And it was really modern. Um, you know, the German Autobahn is famous today. Yeah, yeah. The American interstate system was, was modeled after uh-huh. uh, the early versions of the, of the Autobahn. Still learning system. here. You touched on a lot of different types of technologies that you're developing. And, and always fascinating to me in the world of autonomy, how much of the stack, if you will, that each entity chooses to develop internally versus to try to, try to outsource. Where are you in that, in that thinking? Is your bias to do things internally versus try to retrofit a commercially available solution? Or, or where is that back and forth today? Let me put it that way. That was also part of our, our thinking, how to meet price points. So we need to be very frugal, and that, that's in the history of talk. So we definitely do not intend to do everything. With our launch in 27, I think we picked a really smart date because now a lot of things had been developed in the ecosystem. They are great simulation tools. Their, their huge databases or, you know, all, all the cloud tools are there. Computes, sensors, this range. If you try to really be successful five, six, seven years ago, you had to do your proprietary sensors, your proprietary LiDAR, your proprietary radar. You had to do everything, which requires a ton of engineers, a ton of money. We are now benefiting a little bit of a lot of groundbreaking work that had been done out there. And we're now, but an industry emerged. So what we are doing, we are, we are really focusing on ourselves or in the core, but partnering in the periphery. I think that just makes us better, faster, and allows us to develop things at lower cost. And usually you're also not the best in everything. Yeah? And, and really focusing on where you are best and what is really differentiating, that's the core. For us, it's mainly really the, the, entire, uh, the entire software stack. Here we're not collaborating much, so really from perception so perceiving your environment, uh, fusing the data uh, down to the planning and, and the behaviors and, and prediction. Uh, so that stack, I think we want to have under control. Also for safety reasons that we always know what the system is doing and we can prove it and can build a safety case around. But in the periphery and sensors and hardware, we are, we are very open to, to collaborate. That is pretty interesting. Let me maybe take it a little one step further on the, on the technology side. So Waymo, which on the passenger car side probably is the best known autonomous driving company in the, in the States right now, and, and, and the only one really right now that's operating in San Francisco after, after GM left, uh-huh. Cruise left, they're famous for developing their own LiDAR. 
in fact, it was a subject of a big uh, amount of litigation between uh -huh. them and Uber, and there was all that fun stuff that, that we were all witness to. But obviously, you mentioned sensors are not part of what you develop internally. And in fact, you had an announcement at CES. And maybe you could talk a little bit about that announcement and, for example, why that particular partnership amongst the many uh, LiDAR companies that are available. I really like what Waymo is doing. You always need to find your own way that also fits to your company and your situation. That's on our end, it was the right thing to not develop the things in-house, but really partnering with, with people. On the LiDAR space, in principle, there are two technologies, which are pretty similar. So most level three systems in cars that they use, uh, you call it time of flight LiDARs. So these are laser scanners that send out a laser beam. It gets reflected, comes back. You, you measure the travel time of the light, and by this, you measure the distance to objects. And then you have usually a couple of points on objects, and then you can identify who. It might be a car or a truck or something. Yeah. This is great, and it's working perfectly for level three highway systems or ADAR systems. Trucking is really, really challenging because we are moving 80,000 pounds at car speed but the truck does not brake as good as a car, and especially it does not accelerate like a car. So uh, it's not only there, you need more vision to the front, you need much more good vision also to the back, because if you do a lane change or a merger, you don't want to put, let's say, an, an overspeeding motorcyclist at risk, which is just reality. You always need, need to plan for the bad. Yeah? I mean, if everyone <laughs> sticks to traffic rules, that's an easier problem to solve, <laughs> but it's just not reality on the streets. Yeah? That's why, uh, especially in trucking, you do not want to compromise on long-range sensing. It's so important that you really, to the front and to the back, perceive your environment so that you can also predict what the other actors are doing that you can pick the right path for yourself. And here, here comes this interesting technology that, uh, that our partner Ever is developing. They're using on top frequency modulation so that you have a Doppler effect and can measure velocity. So you have the 3D information of time of flight plus the velocity information. And this is just, you know, out there, 500 meters out there, there are two reflections. What does it tell you? Nothing. One could be a tree, one could be a car, it could be just noise. If those two points move in the same direction with the same speed, most probably they belong together. So, so you are seeing more or less much further out with that technology, and, and that's especially needed in trucking. Great. Do they have a booth here at CES? They have a booth. It's a, it's a really impressive company. What we also like, it's not only the technology, but it's really it's built for scale. So they meet price points. They meet reliability. Trucking, uh, we, we touched this earlier, it's, it's all about reliability and truck has one million uh, miles lifetime. It's also much more than cars, so that's the next thing where you really need to optimize for. But they are also great collaborators. I mean, all this is leading edge technology and you really also want partners on the other hand side where you can collaborate with team, with jointly develop the technology further, jointly maturing the technology, make it automotive great, make it robust. And we just had a feeling they are a great partner here. Excellent. That's excellent. What is the assumption around rolling out of this technology? Are you assuming that essentially that truck will, will never have a driver in it that will be truly autonomous? I, I guess that's, that has to be the idea. Otherwise, that trucker is again away from their family, right? So really, it is truly nobody in that vehicle. That, that's the development goal, yep. Yeah. No more in the vehicle. I mean, there can still be one. It, we are developing two autonomy. 
it's a little bit supervised autonomy, of course. There is a mission control. There's always someone watching the truck, and, and um, is the truck doing what, what it should do or if something goes wrong? I mean, a tire could blow up, yeah? so, so then you need to, uh, to organize a rescue team or something like this. It, it's not completely autonomous um, in terms of um, completely unsupervised. I would call it supervised autonomy, maybe. Yeah, it's definitely um, driving itself. Yeah? Okay. And is the idea that you're designing to that, let's say that, that truck would get from some railroad station, would load cargo at a railroad station or a port, get to a specific hub close to a highway, and then the driver would get out, and from that hub on, then their truck is capable of driving itself. Is that fundamentally the, the working model? Yeah, um, we call it hub to hub. So that the hub, say, is five miles from the interstate, two miles from the interstate, usually in an industrial area. Uh, the truck would drive itself from the hub through the surface streets to an interstate, then completing the, the, the long haulage, some lane changes, mergers, you name it, yeah? and then leaving the interstate again, taking a ramp, taking a surface street, two miles, five miles, reaching at the hub. So what, what is hub now? I mean, okay, it, it, was, could, it, it, question, it could be right. a little bit of everything. Um, right. yeah, exactly. Some people think of big airport style transfer, coupling, decoupling. This might be the case for, let's say, if, if afterwards there's a 50-mile super complicated tour. But our target is a lot of typical distribution centers, logistics centers. They aren't just industrial areas. They are not that difficult to reach because they're not in a city. As long as they have enough volume, it doesn't make sense if one truck is leaving per week. Yeah? But, but let's say a couple of trucks are leaving each day at this hub, we want to reach it. And so I think there are a lot of hubs uh, that can be reached by our technology. Some can't. And, and then uh, manual drivers uh, will, will do the distribution. Okay. But also, I mean, a lot of systems are organized in such a way. I mean, if you take a typical parcel business, usually between distribution centers, you have more class A, almost lanes, I would call it. Every two hours, you're driving from A to B. Every four hours, you're driving from B to C. And then you're repackaging, and then, it's, and then you have the local distribution. Yeah. So that's, uh, some systems are even designed for this. Yeah. Okay. One of the things that at least is intuitive to people who've seen a lot of autonomous cars running around, if you live in the Bay Area or in Tempe, Arizona, we've had these vehicles uh -huh. go for forever, is that they're tending to get trained for a specific location. And by that, I just don't mean the geographic footprint, but also the style of driving. Uh -huh. um, in other words, for example, Pony, which is the Pony.ai, which uh -huh. is one of the probably the most prominent name in autonomous uh, ride sharing, at least uh -huh. in China, when their cars are designed or learned to drive in China where there are rules, but you're also typically negotiating dynamically with the other drivers exactly what you're uh -huh. and, the, and the car knows how to do that. Yeah. Now, clearly you implement that in the States, in the United States, that car is probably going to be uh, too aggressive. I noticed originally the, uh, the Waymo cars that I took, they weren't aggressive enough. They almost made you uncomfortable because they were so cautious. Uh -huh. uh, and now they've sort of dialed them up a bit, if you will. How does that work in the trucking world? Is that less of an issue or... Is that still something where the truck essentially has to learn local rules for different local driving styles? We see differences in, in driving styles. That's true, but I would call our truck a really courtesy driver. 
I, I think a class A truck, uh, that's the right thing to do. A class A truck shouldn't drive aggressively. So it drives very passive, very safe. It feels super safe if you're in there. It feels good if you drive next to it. So, so it's, um, it's, it's a very polite truck. It is, and, and I think people forget that that current class A driver is probably the best class of driver in the world. I mean, the only thing on their resume is, is their accidents. And so they're extremely cautious about not oh, getting yeah. into I mean, accidents. professional drivers, they are phenomenal. And, and by the way, I mean, when we are testing on, on public roads, it first of all goes through a lot of testing and simulation, closed course, but we are always testing with the safety driver behind the wheel and the safety conductor in the, in the second seat. And those drivers, uh, they are just phenomenal. And we are learning a ton from them on driving styles. And, and uh, they also assess a little bit, hey, did the truck the right things or not? Or was it too aggressive? Or maybe sometimes also too passive. Again, we, we wanted our truck is polite and, and courteous. Excellent. So basically what you're saying is there is less investment required in, in on-road training. If there's sort of a percentage mix, you versus a a ride-sharing uh, autonomous vehicle in a, in a dense urban area, the way your truck needs to operate is a lot more defined and a lot more consistent than what you would have to do negotiating a six-way intersection in, uh, in Boston. Yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of highway driving. It's a much more structured environment. But again, it has its own challenges, especially the long-range sensing. You have not much um, margin of error. Our challenge is more the high-speed driving and the lower margin of error, so we need to perceive way out the environment very precisely. Because also with a truck, you can't make spectacular maneuvers here. I mean, your main maneuver is braking, emergency braking, yeah. And eventually you might be able to do a lane change or an ev evasive maneuver. And so that's uh, why some things are easier, some things are also more complicated. But that's uh, coming back to my no hobbies, that's what our system is designed for. Yeah? If you know your use case, you know the specific challenges, you can really optimize the system for, for this use case, which we did. We call it edge cases. It's unbelievable what you just see. I mean, there's the normal driving, and then there are the anomalies where just things happen. And, and we, we saw people, all kinds of animals, of course, crossing the highway. We saw humans crossing the highway. We saw bicyclists, even people with wheel, wheelchairs on the shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> and we even had someone running, uh, we, we had wrong way drivers, all of this is existing. And that's why we're doing public road testing also to, to on the one hand side, um, optimize our trucks in, in nominal driving and just doing the usual things like cut-ins and lane changes, but also experiences, experiencing these this weird situations. And a typical uh, other challenge is lost cargo. You wouldn't believe what you all find on interstates here, from <laughs> I don't boxes to letters. I don't know why a lot of cargo gets lost. The more miles you accumulate, the more you experience. We have one big advantage in in trucking. A lot of trucks have uh, you call it video captures, and now I'm speaking about today's trucks, current trucks with ADA systems, level two systems, uh, almost twenty five percent. And from this video capture, we can extract a lot of the weird things that happen in the real world. That's 100 million of miles that we can analyze each week instead of driving it ourselves or with prototype level, level four autonomous vehicles. We can just uh, leverage. And here also the, the relationship with, with Freightliner and Daimler is super helpful. The huge fleet of trucks which are out there to identify all this, all these edge cases, and it's, it's not only, so to say, an accident or weird things. You can even 
analyze all harsh breaking events and things like that. I think that's a huge benefit that we have in chucking that allows us to test less, but analyze more data. Things that happen every two million miles. <laughs> you need to drive a lot in, in your own testing fleet, and then you even don't know if will your experiences. We, we really have strange things happening, and we can say this happens every 10 miles, 1,000 miles, 100,000 miles, 1 million miles. That's the beauty of, of, this, of this database. Yeah. You know, it's, it reminds me of an advantage that Tesla has had for a while. Because of the way the public markets were valuing that company, they were a lot more capable of including in the bill of materials cameras, even if the consumer didn't pay for them. Uh-huh. And so they could get away with that because the public markets were scrutinizing their gross margins differently from others. And what that allowed them to do is install cameras regardless of whether you were purchasing the package or not, but it provided them an enormous amount of information to analyze. And that's what's really given them a significant advantage in their own systems. Although, as you probably also know, they're gambling that they can do it without LIDAR. And that's, uh, I think they're unique in that approach. And it's unclear whether that they'll win that gamble or not, uh, ultimately. We are not sharing. Um, I think for autonomy, um, you're better off uh, using all three modalities, camera, right. radar, and LiDAR. For this application, yeah, for our application, especially with the high speeds and high mass, we do not want to compromise on sensors. For sure. How far away is the dream, if you will? If the dream is... It's not a dream cars. anymore. Okay. It's not, not a, dream. a dream anymore. Okay. We will launch in year 27. A lot of breakthroughs ha- have been made by us, but also by others where we just benefit from. And, and we are now putting the pieces together and, and we have a clear development plan and we are executing on the plan. And I think everyone in talk really believes in the plan. So it's still a super, super difficult to achieve. Yeah? And, and we, we will, my <laughs> we will uh, have a ton of work in front of us, but we know what it takes to launch a product and we're executing on it. And our date is 27. 2027 for a commercially purchasable Daimler truck with your system in it? Yeah, yeah. we call it a scalable product, and that would mean you as a fleet, you would go to Daimler and buy a truck, which is fully equipped with all sensors, computers, sensor cleaning, whatsoever you need, and it's built out of Daimler trucks plants. And it's really good because it allows you to, to hit the price points, to meet price points, but also um, this is the only way how to get quality. When you build trucks and prototype shops, you, you can't compare quality. The quality that comes out of an assembly line is just unheard of. And then the customer would buy from us a subscription on the torque driver, which, which would be the autonomous driving capability uh, plus the mission control. So that, that, that's a business model, buying a truck from Daimler, buying sort of say, the software or the virtual driver from us. I see. Will your technology be exclusive to Daimler? We are starting with a Freightliner uh, Class 8. Cascade will not be exclusive, so we have no limitations. Uh, so we can use it in any region with any brand and any vehicle class. However, no hobbies. So we, we try to start once <laughs> and then hopefully no limits. And, and uh, th- th- there are no limits. That's interesting. That's it. How has that relationship with Daimler? There are always going to be pluses and minuses. And I'm not asking you know, for you know, anything controversial, but it's just kind of interesting, right? When you're, when you're doing something that's very innovative, where you're measuring your success with initial trucking revenues, because I know you have other businesses, trucking revenues in 2027 versus an organization where everybody's designed to hit the quarter, right? And you have a foot in both 
cultures. Uh -huh. What are some of the interesting things you found out in terms of being able to bring those two organizations together and being able to have them both point in the same direction for the work that Torque is doing? I mean, first of all, you, you, you brought a very uh, two organizations. That's a really important point. And I really admire Daimler Talks, uh, let's say, for being wise and keeping Torque separate. Because what we are doing is something completely different, what Daimler Trucks does, or we are a software company by heart. And it's just something different than developing trucks. And a lot of companies that tried to integrate it really failed. Not, not too many automotive companies had been successful running big software projects. And so it's really wise to have this in two independent organizations and so that everyone can do where he is best at. And in our case, it's really developing a software and specifying hardware, but then developing the hardware and putting it together, that's where Daimler Trucks is just best. And I think it's a wonderful relationship. And, and this also roughly describes it. So, so we are developing the entire software for autonomy and, and have asked for Daimler Trucks, what do we need from the truck as a foundation in terms of redundancy, but also in terms of sensors and computes we would like them to procure. Then they give us just the best foundation you can dream of. Uh, you know that Freightliner has a 40% market share. In our relevant segment, or which is the on-highway, long haulage segment, it's even higher. So that they are a phenomenal partner. They build the most reliable trucks, the most efficient trucks, and uh, have, have an incredible uh, customer relationship. And, and, and that, that, that helps, of course, a ton to be successful. Yeah. And I think it's also the right organization to be associated with in the sense that it's always known as sort of the, the technical leader in the space that really does have a reputation for that. And, and, and the competitors I've talked to will say that as well, which is Daimler will attempt things that uh, before other people will. And sometimes I know the people at Daimler wish they didn't because it's expensive, but that's a good thing. And I think we're also coming along at, the, at a opportune time for those cultures to be able to see things each other's ways, because for a hundred years, the issue was developing the slightly more efficient diesel engine. Uh -huh. And now suddenly those organizations have to develop multiple powertrain platforms. Uh -huh. And I think it's kind of changed their, their view a little bit about being open and absorbing of new technologies that really they, they weren't used to thinking about before. And I think that's helped the entire uh, commercial transportation industry to, to open its arms to a lot of things other than just powertrains. Yeah, I, I think the transformation there um so logistics industry as such, but also trucking seas is, is enormous. This might be the, the 10 years, at least, that I, that I think is the most change and fundamental change that the industry sees. Let me ask you this, Peter. You've been very kind, spent a lot of time with us here. Is there anything we haven't covered that you'd like to mention or cover? Maybe an advertisement if you're recruiting, but would you like to put an advertisement about what a good place, uh, what a good place uh, Torque is to work? I mean, Torque, by the way, is a great place. Uh, so that's uh, uh, to work. You, you can see it uh, in, in, in all the relevant portals. Uh, we are super success successful in, in hiring great talent and retaining it because a lot of people like our culture, but they also buy into our mission. We want to be the world's leading autonomous trucking company and really, really delivering freight at, uh, at scale. And I think our approach is convincing. And it's more and more, especially now, where you see a lot of consolidation in autonomy, where you also see what is working, what is not working, what a safe approach. And I think the, the, the people really buy into what we are doing. So it's a great place to work. It's exciting. I mean, you, you can change an industry. How cool is that? Uh, so I, I think that that's that what our people really like. And you're working with great talent. 
this is sometimes challenging to be honest <laughs> but but if you're a little bit competitive if you want to learn from the best if you want to challenge yourself with the best we are a great place to work i think you also wanted to mention some pilots you're doing with some of your trucking partners yeah i i think it's super important Fleet partners i should say yeah it, it, it's super important that you design product that the customers really like and love and so it's it's really important that you also understand the customer's business and that's why on the one side for testing we are hauling concrete blocks but we are also using a lot of our prototype trucks to haul real freight and uh, two of our partners that we did announce is CI um, uh, England and Schneider it's even a long stretch that we're doing from Phoenix to Oklahoma City so that's thousand miles that's about the range of a truck so on the last trip of diesel we are range uh, we are arriving in Phoenix or in Oklahoma City and it's just a um, it's a super good learning experience on the one side covering such a long distance but then also hauling real freight because real freight has challenges. You know, sometimes the center of gravity is different or where the load is. And, uh, you know, if you arrive, <laughs> sometimes it takes you an hour uh, to really get to the dock. And uh, I mean, it's just the reality of trucking uh, that you need to experience so that you can design your system for being efficient. Excellent. And then are those uh, sort of pilots or, or, or revenue, uh, revenue relationships or what is the relationship? Yeah, we are not doing it uh, currently uh, to generate revenue. It's really more, more about the joint learning experience uh, that we get out of it, but also that the fleets can learn what the technology can do and can't do and what change it drives. You know, there's not only a driver shortage, there's also a shortage of technicians. And the fleets need to prepare for how to maintain such a thing, how to change their operations so that their operations are um, suits autonomy. And uh, so uh, that's the main purpose uh, why we're doing the pilots with customers. Great. Thank you. Anything else? I think we, we covered a lot of ground. I really appreciate it. I hope it was enjoyable for you as well. Yeah. Hey, thank you very much for the opportunity to speak to your audience. I really appreciate it. And then I guess we'll be seeing you later on today as well at, our, uh, at uh, that event at the Chandelier. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Or to this. Our CS is always a great networking opportunity. And thanks for making this happen. Tech. Cars. Machines. Subscribe here or at gtkpartners.com.